Hey everybody, welcome to episode 240 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from a warm Austin, Texas. I hope everybody is staying cool this week as it seems that the summer is here and then some across the country, especially those folks on the West Coast. Hope you guys are staying cool and safe. All right, today's topic, I want to talk about a theme that, as I think about my coaching, is consistent throughout it. And you can really take the application of this concept to a bunch of different places in the context of your running. And so my theme for today is this idea that you need to slow down. If you can slow down in training in a bunch of different ways, then that is actually the key to getting the goals that you want. Counterintuitively, we think it's about going faster when really most of the time it's actually about going slower. You have to go slow to go fast on race day is what I often say. And so today I'm going to talk about five different ways you should be thinking about slowing down in your training in order to get your goals. Five different ways to be thinking about slowing down in your training in order to get your goals. So we'll get to that in just a second. Before we get there, I've got to give a couple of shout outs from the weekend two of the Olympic trials, an absolutely amazing, amazing finish to our Olympic trials in track and field. So many exciting races, so much to talk about. Others have done that very, very well. And so I won't belabor this topic, but I did have to give some shout outs to some inspiring women from the meet. First of all, got to give a shout out to my Co-host with the Clean Sport Collective, Kara Goucher, absolutely killing it on the mic in her first Olympic trials as a commentator. She did the distance commentary, color commentary for every race from the 1500 meters up to the 10,000 and was an absolute breath of fresh air. I don't know how we made it with the for the last decade of the commentator that I won't name who was <laughs> was considerably more boring than Kara. The bar was low, but she far exceeded it and shows that she's a true natural. But I know that was due to a lot of hard work on her part getting ready, but it was just fun because her passion and energy for the sport shined through and she did such a good job telling the stories of the athletes out there. So shout out to Kara Goucher and inspiring results as a commentary, as a commentator. Second shout out, got to give a shout out to Amber Coburn. Emma dominated the women's steeple running a 909 time, which was an Olympic trials record on what ended up being a pretty warm evening on Thursday evening of last week to earn her next Olympic team. That race from her was absolutely masterclass. I would highly recommend you go watch it. She could have won that race any number of ways and in the past often she would go to the front and just push from the beginning and keep it really simple for her but in this case she actually started in the back controlled the race from the back gradually worked her way up and then with about a thousand meters to go just put on an absolute clinic as she hammered it home with a long sustained kick to run that 909 first time under 910 at the olympic trials in just an amazing, amazing finish where she started slow but finished strong and ran a world-class time at the Olympic trials, essentially leading by herself at the end. Unreal 
masterclass race from her. She could have won that from the front, the back, the middle. She chose to do it from the back, but just the way she executed was with absolute perfection to her plan. And she also just showed so much calm and poise, even in the middle of the pack as the pace started a little bit slower before she ratcheted things down. So hats off to Emma Coburn. Hope you can get us another Olympic medal in Tokyo. Second hats off goes to Emily Sisson, who won the women's 10K, also in a trials record in dominating fashion. She led that race for the last 21 laps. She let it go for a mile, was hanging around the front, but not pressing, and then took over uh, in the fifth lap and just cranked the pace made it honest from the beginning and then gradually cranked it down especially in the final kilometer to two kilometers and just obliterated the field she ended up laughing everybody but six runners in a field that i believe there were 37 finishers or 39 finishers something like that lapped all but seven athletes and just just absolutely obliterated the field and on an amazing result on a really hot morning there Saturday morning there in Eugene where the temperatures were already in the upper 80s to low 90s at 10 a.m. in Eugene and she was not bothered at all cranked it from the beginning ran her smart race she knew that there were some kickers in that field that might be able to beat her. She let them hang around and she did not. Took it after mile one and just destroyed the field. Really, really impressive result from Emily Sisson. My hat is off to you. So shout out there. And then last one goes to the teenage, still teenage, I think Mo. Her last name is spelled M-U, pronounced Mo. Collegiate athlete who just turned pro from Texas A&M ran an Olympic trials record in the women's 800, just pulling away from the field in dominating fashion in the last 200, leaving Ajay Wilson, a world champion in the dust and, and just an impressive race. The poise that she showed at her age, as well as that finish was just unbelievable as she dominated the final 150 or so to put that field away and set a trials record 156 at the Olympic trials, also in warm conditions on what ended up being late Sunday night in Eugene. So hats off to a thing, Mo. She could do some big things in Tokyo, which is going to be exciting to watch. And those three ladies, Emily, Emma, a thing, are three to watch for Tokyo, certainly, and also three absolutely inspiring women to follow in general. So those are my shout-outs to those four, including Kara, for her commentating. But so many other amazing things. That finish in the men's 1500, where Cole Hawker came out of nowhere in the final 100 to run down the Olympic gold medalist, Matthew Centrowitz, so many, so many exciting finishes. So if you haven't checked it out, you can actually go back and watch it on NBC Sports, the app, if you have a cable sign-in. So go check out those races if you haven't already. 
so many inspiring things from the trials made me wish I was there and it means I'm definitely not going to miss the next one in 2024. All right. So that's a quick overview of some of the inspiring things I saw in that second weekend of the Olympic trials. Let's go to my main topic for today. We're going to go to this counterintuitive point that in your training, if you slow down in what I'm going to describe as five different ways, then that will actually help you get faster towards your goal. It's counterintuitive, but absolutely true. If you can set your ego aside and listen to these points, I promise you it will pay off for you. I've been doing this for a very long time. I also practice all five of these things myself, although it is easier said than done. So we'll talk about these five things. But before we get there, I want to quickly say something about the word slow. In general, as a coach, I don't like the word slow. Athletes like to use it in a self-deprecating fashion. They like to say, I'm too slow for X, Y, and Z, or I could do that, but I'm slow. And people like to throw that word around in talking about themselves. And I want to first just level set and say, don't do that. Take that word out of your vocabulary, at least as it relates to using it in talking about yourself in a self-deprecating fashion. That is not productive. I like to say there's no slow, only degrees of fast. And there is room for every degree of fast in the running world if you're willing to show up and do the work. So set aside that word, at least as it relates to using it in beating up yourself but you can embrace it as it relates to referring to relative pacing within yourself in a way that describes training in the right way. So what does that look like? Five ways slowing down will help you get your goals. You can get your time by taking your time. So here we go. Five ways. Number one, think long-term. Slow down as it relates to your planning and your ambition around how fast you have to achieve your goals. We always want it to happen the next cycle. And it might. I'm not saying it can't. All I'm saying is I want you to make sure that you're thinking long-term enough because this running game and getting better as a runner is a long-term game. And so you have to slow down, be patient with your goal setting, be patient with how you put together your macro cycles in order to optimize that long-term development. This happens all the time in my world where people want to rush to get a certain goal. The example that I often talk about is the example of trying to get that Boston qualifier because you know there are certain deadlines associated with it. We just got new deadlines. I just talked about that on my episode last week where now the window for the 2022 race will be closing on November 12th. And so people are now starting to think, well, should I move my races up this fall so that I can get in for that April 22 qualifying window? Or perhaps then I can have to a qualifier for both 22 and 23, you start to think about all of those pieces. And certainly, there may be times when it makes sense to optimize around that benchmark. But for the most part, it doesn't make sense. 
Boston isn't going anywhere. Whatever goal you might have isn't going anywhere. So if you think about optimizing your long-term development, that will get you to a higher place down the road than if you're optimizing around short-term deadlines and short-term windows. And I understand that that can be hard because we all want our goals to happen yesterday. But, but I can tell you as a coach, there are things that can happen that will potentially impact and affect your long-term development if you take shortcuts to get to that goal. So for example, a lot of times when people are rushing to get a certain qualifier or a certain goal, they start to focus too much on that one distance. You know, the marathon distance is the perfect example. When people are trying to get their BQ, they start chasing BQs and will then run a marathon every six months in order to chase that BQ, sometimes even sooner than that. And then they become very much stuck in the rut of marathon training. But we know from long term, or we, we know from coaching principles that you need to work all distances, train at all race distances at various times in order to optimize your long term potential in the marathon. So if you keep going from marathon to marathon, chasing a standard or chasing a specific goal, then you're actually short circuiting your ability to get beyond that goal by not working the other distances. If I think about Sarah Hall, who just finished, I believe it was sixth or seventh in the 10K. She was trying to make the Olympic team in the 10K. It would have been her first Olympic team. She fell off the pack probably relatively early in the grand scheme. It was about 3K to go, if I remember right. So wasn't really ever in it for a top three spot. And that's sad for Sarah because I know that's something that she wanted desperately. But what's the upside? The upside is that she was working on 10K speed for the last four to five months. And now it was just announced today that she's going to turn around and go try to chase the American record in the marathon in Chicago on October 10th. And I can promise you that that time that she spent away from the marathon training, focusing on the 10K distance and optimizing around that distance and knowing that she might have to kick finish there and she has to be able to run with some of the best on the track. All of that work that she did to get ready for the Olympic trials in the 10K now feeds into this American record attempt in the marathon and is only going to make her a better marathoner, a faster marathoner. It's only going to increase her chances. So that balance is important. Making sure you take time away from the marathon if that's your focus or the half marathon if that's your focus. Make sure you take time away and give yourself the opportunity to chase other distances. That is a part of a long-term view. And sometimes that means stepping back, postponing an attempt at a goal in order to optimize the long-term trajectory. Because if you do that, if you stay patient, if you think long-term, if you don't get too caught up in chasing deadlines or standards by certain deadlines, then it's going to make you a better runner in the long-term. So you have to slow down as it relates to that chase for your goal and make sure that you're doing all the right things in order to get 
that potential in order to optimize that potential for the long term. So that's point number one. Slow down with the goal setting. Be patient with your goal setting. Don't take shortcuts because shortcuts will short circuit your long-term development in any distance. That's number one. Number two, probably the most obvious one, but number two is the most obvious, which is you have to slow down on most of your runs. Slow is another word for easy in this case, but most of your runs, the vast majority of your runs should be at easy efforts. You run fast a little bit of the time so that you can spend most of the time running easy, which not only optimizes your aerobic system in the right way, but also keeps you healthy and consistent so that you can continue to run more mileage, which leads to better results down the road. And we'll talk in a second about, you know, there's three different versions of what easy running looks like. But first I want to just paint the picture, give you an analogy for why this is important. And again, this is a counterintuitive point and many people's egos won't let them fully embrace this concept because they think that they have to run fast most of the time in order to get faster and that's counterproductive and will also get you injured. So what's the analogy? The analogy I like to use to really get people to understand this question is a car engine analogy. And the question is, do you want a really fine-tuned lawnmower engine or do you want a big V8? Do you want a fine-tuned lawnmower engine or do you want a big V8? Because when you're running easy, you build the size of your engine. You add cylinders to your engine. When you run fast, you fine-tune the engine. And so you're, when you're running fast, you're, you can only take the size of engine you have and make it better. But when you run easy, you add cylinders and ultimately you would, you would love to have a big V8 engine versus have a tiny little lawnmower engine that's really revved up. When I was in high school, my brother and I had a, a lawn mowing business. And so we mowed yards all summers and into the fall here in Texas. It was a good, it was a good job for a high schooler. We continued it on into college, but we got pretty good at what we did. And we also got pretty good at taking care of our equipment. We also learned a few things through the years that you could take a stock lawnmower engine and do certain things to it in order to increase the RPMs, give it a little bit more power to particularly cut through some of the, the thick and dense grasses that you might have in a, in a customer that wasn't maintaining their lawn well or wasn't calling us enough to actually cut it. And so we would, we would crank up the engines that we had to get the full RPMs out of them. We were fine tuning the engine and at the end of the day, it made a difference, but it was still a lawnmower engine. If I were to hop on one of those as a riding lawnmower, I'm only going to get a certain amount of speed out of it because it's maxed out by its overall potential capacity. But 
if I take that and I build it, if I add to the engine, if I add cylinders to the engine, if I reconstruct and start fresh and build a bigger engine that has four cylinders, six cylinders, eight cylinders, then, then you can start to get some real power. Then you're into a car engine that has real power that can have real speed that can take you as fast as you want it to go. So again, it goes back to the question, would you rather have a big engine or would you rather have a finely tuned lawnmower engine? Ultimately, we have to work both things. We're going to build the size of our engine at times. We're going to fine tune our engine at times. But because engine size is more important for most of us than fine tuning the engine, then you skew that way. Then we should be spending most of our time running easy so that we have more cylinders. Versus if you go fast all the time, then you're just revving up a small engine and that's only going to get you so far. The best four-cylinder, highly revved up four-cylinder is simply not going to beat a V8. So you have to slow down. You have to run easy in order to get a really big engine. What does that look like inside? I've talked about it many times. It means physiological changes to your internal engine that helps you take oxygen from the air and move it into your mitochondria. You're working inside your working muscles so that you can go. And there's a whole chain of things that happens inside your body physiologically to take that oxygen molecule and more of them through your lungs, to your bloodstream, to your working muscles. And all of those little changes happen at primarily easy efforts. So you have to slow down most of the time and then periodically fine tune your engine. Now, another analogy that I'll use for those that like to do strength training, if you're thinking about improving your max bench press, if you're thinking about improving your max bench press, then you go to the gym and maybe two days a week max, not more than that, you work on your chest muscles. And typically, when you're doing that, you work lower weight, higher reps, lower weight, higher reps. And the reps may vary from four to 10 or 12, depending on the program you're on. But you're doing more reps at lower weight than your max most of the time in order to stress those muscles, tear them down a little bit so they can build back stronger. You don't go to the gym every day and try to max out. That's not the way it works. Periodically, you'll do that, but most of the time, you're doing lower weight, higher volume. It's the same is true. The same is true with running. Most of the time, we're doing lower intensity, slower paces, higher volume, more miles, so that periodically we can quote max out on race day. That's the way the body works. So what does that look like? It means that you're going to be running easy probably about 80% of the time and then the other 20% or so, you're going to be running faster. So in my programs, the ones I write here at Rogue, typically that means we're doing one big quality day a week where you're running fast. Most other weeks, you have five other easy days. 
occasionally we have weeks where you have two quality workouts embedded. Typically in marathon training, in our world, that's embedded within the long run. There might be other speed development related work embedded in another day, but for the most part, the rest of your running is going to be at easy efforts. And there's really kind of three versions of easy. There's long run easy, there's recovery run easy, and then there's other easy day easy. Long run easy, recovery day easy, other easy day easy. So even within the easy paces, we've got variation depending on the purpose of the day. As I talked about on my Church of the Long Run episode recently, the long run, I like to see that pace be anywhere from a minute to two minutes slower than your target marathon pace or 90 seconds to two and a half minutes slower than your target half marathon pace. Recovery running, I like to see that even slower. So two minutes slower than your target marathon pace or two and a half minutes slower than your target half marathon pace even slower. And on those days, for me, it might even be slower than that. I've been known to run as much as three and a half minutes slower than marathon pace, at least starting that way on my recovery days, depending on what my body needs. And that's okay because those recovery days are about movement and blood flow and healing. They're not about pressing the envelope. And then the other other easy days, maybe the medium long run or the other filler days, I give you a little bit more flexibility, but I like to see those those runs fall anywhere from 30 seconds to 90 seconds slower than marathon pace or a minute to two minutes slower than half marathon pace, erring on the easy side again. You don't want to press on those days. You should finish any of those other easy runs feeling better than when you started, and so that should be your barometer. But that's that's it three versions of easy and that's covers most of your runs with the exception of course of the workouts where you're going to go faster so slow down in training most of the time so that you can one build aerobic capacity build the size of your engine and two so that you can stay healthy because aerobic capacity building happens within a huge range of efforts And so you'd rather be on the slower end of the range of those efforts so that your neuromuscular system isn't taxed as much so that you can stay healthy and consistent and keep doing work, which means more volume, more training, more consistency, and therefore a bigger engine. It all builds on itself. So that's number two. Slow down in training most of the time to build the size of your engine. Number three. Even in workouts, there is a concept here about slowing down. And I talked about this on the episode about relaxed running. But there's also this idea that most of the time when you're training for longer distances, especially the half marathon and marathon, in workouts even, it's all about control and not necessarily about pressing the envelope. Your best improvement will come when you learn to be efficient at target paces instead of pressing the edge. Certainly there's a time and place for pressing the edge, but oftentimes when I would, when I tell you in a workout to run half marathon pace or marathon pace or even 10 K pace for a certain interval, I'm telling you to run an interval that's significantly shorter 
than the race distances for those target paces. Tomorrow, for example, my group is doing, at least part of my group is doing a workout where they're doing two to three times two miles at approximately marathon effort. So two miles at marathon effort with rest in between each of those reps. So if you're truly running marathon effort, you should have no problem holding that pace for two miles if you could theoretically do it for 26.2. So in that case, is it better to press the edge and go faster than what I'm prescribing? Or alternatively, is it better to, instead of pressing the edge and going faster than what I prescribe, is it better to, to settle into that rhythm and try to make that marathon rhythm feel as easy and comfortable as possible? The answer is the latter. Absolutely. I want you to be efficient, work on staying in control, work on being relaxed at that target marathon pace or that target marathon effort. Try to make that effort feel as easy and smooth and dialed in as possible. That's not about going faster. In that case, it's actually about slowing down in the broader scheme of things, following the prescribed paces and trying to make that pace feel as easy and smooth and comfortable as possible. So that's another way that you quote slow down in order to get your goals because if you can do that if you can learn to relax at those paces then it's going to allow you on race day to hold those paces for longer while burning less energy and then therefore have more at the end when it matters when things get hard to finish strongly so that's number three most of the time in workouts it's not about pressing the edge and going faster than prescribed. It's about staying in control, quote, slowing down to the target pace and making that target pace feel as smooth and comfortable as you can. And sometimes even at faster paces, that applies. I did a workout today where I was alternating between 400 meters at 5K pace and a float. Float is sort of an honest uh running recovery where you're not running easy but you're still slowing down so it's more of a medium effort recovery and then switching gears back into 5k and ultimately for parts of that workout i could have gone faster than 5k pace but my coach kathy casey coach for team rogue here in in austin for our morning edition she said no don't do it don't go faster than 5k pace that's not the point the point is to tap that pace zone, try to make it feel smooth and comfortable, and then also to get the overall aerobic stimulus of mixing that with the floats. So even in that case, when I was told to run 5K pace for 400 meters at a time, I was told not to go faster, but rather to stay in control, stay smooth, stay relaxed, optimize my energy within that target pace, which will ultimately pay off when I take it to longer distances. So that's number three. Go slow by controlling yourself in workouts. Number four, go slow in recovery. Number four, go slow in recovery. What does this mean? This means 
obviously recovery running, which we've already kind of talked about, making sure you really emphasize going easy on those recovery days. Marilyn Faulkner, one of my former guests, who's a co-chair at Rogue, has said, motion is lotion. And when you're on those days where you're recovery running, it's all about that. It's about moving the muscles to give them lotion, so to speak, so that they can be recovered for the next long or hard effort. But there are other parts of the equation to recovery, obviously. And as I've emphasized many times, recovery in my world as a running coach is an active process. It is not a process that involves just sitting and doing nothing. Maybe occasionally, but the vast majority of time it involves doing something, being active in recovery, which could look like active mobilization exercises. It could look like actively doing self-massage and foam rolling. It could be like, it could be, it could involve actively fueling your body in the ways that it needs to, to promote recovery. It could be actively going to take a nap because sleep is your number one recovery tool. And if you can supplement that overnight sleep with The occasional nap during the day, that's also going to pay dividends. But recovery doesn't and shouldn't be something that is harried, that is stressful, that that you feel an obligation to do or that gets squeezed into tiny spaces in your schedule. Recovery is something that should be focused, that should have routine, that should be given space within your day if you care about optimizing those long-term goals. And I get it. I get it. It's hard to do it all. Totally get it. I've got plenty of things on my plate and I know it can be hard to do all the things that we need to do. And so what I'm asking you to do here is instead of trying to squeeze in eight different recovery modalities and run a bunch of different ways, I'm asking you to slow down, focus on the basic things that you need to do in order to stay healthy and consistent. Choose, pick the two or three things that matter for your personal recovery. Integrate those within your day in a way that gives them the the appropriate amount of space and time. Slow it all down. For me, honestly, right now, napping is my number one tool. My number one tool. I don't always have the perfect times for it, but I've learned to prioritize it and to not feel guilty when I take those opportunities to take a nap because I know it is helping fuel my recovery. But that is something that I've made space for, that I'm willing to slow down for because I know it's going to help my long-term trajectory as a runner. Foam rolling self-massage is something else that I create space for. And I slow down in order to do that. Sometimes that means multitasking while my kids are playing, jump on the foam roller so that I can supervise or talk to them or even have them do it with me occasionally. Nutrition. Another thing, I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat anyway. And so instead of rushing to get a meal in 
just being a little bit more conscious and thoughtful about what goes into my body for post-run fueling is important. And I'm not talking about restricting in any way. I'm just talking about being thoughtful, planning ahead, investing in eating the sufficient amount of food in the right quality in order to rebuild the working muscles that I put to work six days a week with my running. So slow down in recovery. Take your time. Prioritize the two or three things that matter to you. Work that into your life in a way that it gives it appropriate space because it's important. You can only run as much. You can only get as fast as you can recover from the work that you're doing. Stress plus rest equals growth. Steve Magnus said that in a tweet this week, which is true. Stress plus rest equals growth. And if you're not prioritizing the rest part of that equation, then you will beat your head against the wall. You will plateau. You will not get to your goals because you have to have both things. You have to tear it down, but you also have to give yourself space to rebuild it, rebuild it stronger and faster. So slow down in recovery. The last thing, number five, is slow down at the start of races. Slow down at the start of races. I can't tell you how many times I've coached athletes who've done all the work in training. And I'm not, believe me, because I know a lot of my athletes listen to this, I'm not thinking about anybody. I'm just talking in generics. Over the last decade of coaching athletes, I can't tell you how many times I've seen someone do everything in training only to throw it away on race day because they started too fast, that they, because they didn't execute the plan. We know from the science, as well as I also know from personal experience and from coaching experience, that for any race longer than a 5K, the optimal strategy is a negative split race, meaning you run the second half faster than the first. It's not about banking time early in a race. It's about banking energy so that you can finish strongly. I have coached people that way to countless PRs and races. The world records play out that way where athletes who have done it at the very highest level are finishing faster than they started. That's optimal pacing if you want to optimize your time on race day. And yet I know it's really hard to execute that way for a lot of reasons. One reason is just the simple adrenaline of the start line. With all of those things going, all of the senses heightened, the adrenaline flowing, everything is pointing to you to get out of those gates fast. And all of your senses that would normally tell you about what pace you're running are completely off. So as I always, or as I often say to athletes, start slow and then slow down some more because your perception of pace is going to be off. You're going to think you're going slow enough when you're not. And so the, the goal really should be to start slow based on your perception and then back off even more in order to get to that actual right place. And then from there, you work down. Obviously, in a 10K, you can be a little bit more aggressive early. Maybe it's only a mile that's slower before you settle into pace. For a half marathon, maybe it's two or three miles. And you work down. For a marathon, sometimes it's three to four. 
But either way, you're starting conservatively in those early miles. You're starting, quote, slow so that you can save energy for the end. And if you think about it, it makes sense because if because it takes time to warm up. I mean, I can tell you for me, sometimes I feel like it takes me five miles to get into a rhythm on a long run where I'm kind of sort of fighting my own body for the first five miles. But then once I get past five miles, sometimes even longer, then suddenly it starts to feel easy and then everything feels smooth the rest of the way. But that's what you're fighting in those early miles of a race. Your body is starting to crank up. It's getting all the things going and it takes more energy to do that. So the energy that you burn to run a slower pace at the beginning could actually be greater than the energy to run a faster pace mid-race because your body's starting to fire its cylinders, starting to get things going, starting to find its rhythm. And if you fight that, if you push against it, then it only exponentially increases the energy that you're consuming in order to run a given pace. That might be a pace that's slower than your target pace. So you start slow and then you slow down some more. The other factor at play here, of course, is all the people around you. And it's so hard to see everybody else going out too fast and not follow or to see the pace groups that you might supposed to be running with or that might represent your target time. You might see them go out too fast and get sucked in or tempted to follow. There are so many things that are pushing you in that direction to make that mistake And look, we've all done it. I've done it. I've made that mistake. But I promise you, if you want to optimize your times, you'll learn to be patient. You'll learn to start slow, slow down a little more, hit a conservative pace early, and then work down. Obviously, I've talked about that many times on the podcast with various race planning episodes. So you can check those out if you want really clear specifics on how to execute a given race distance. But the main message is start slower, finish strong. That is a recipe for PRs for for 10K and above. For 5K, it starts to get a little bit different. That's a topic for a different day. And for anything less than a 5K, it is absolutely different according to the science. But for us, for those that are going long distances, if you start slow and finish strong, that is the optimal way to execute a race. That is the optimal way to chase your goals. And yet, it's so hard. So hard to do and even harder to do it right. But if you practice it, then you'll learn. You'll figure it out. This is where I like prep races. Training races is what I call them, where you could do a race without an expectation that you're going to go all out, and but with an expectation that you're going to execute a certain plan, that you're going to learn to execute in progressions, that you're going to practice those opening miles of your race and the associated paces with it so that you can learn to finish strong at the end. So if this is something you struggle with, sign up for some practice races. Be conservative in your plan with that, but use it as an opportunity to practice. The other thing you can do is practice it in workouts. As I talked about in a recent episode, everything should be happening in progression anyway. So if you learn to hit those opening reps and workout a little slower than your target and then progress a little bit throughout the workout, 
then that's another opportunity to, tr- to practice starting slower and finishing strong. And if you do that every week in your workouts, then it will eventually translate to race day as well. So that's number five. Slow down at the start of your races so that you can finish strong and get your goals. All right. Let's wrap this. So we've got five things. One, slow down in the long term. Be patient with your long-term planning. Don't take shortcuts. Number two, slow down most of the time on your runs. Make sure those long runs, those recovery runs, and those other easy runs are done at an effort level that will allow you to build your engine most of the time versus fine-tuning it. Number three, slow down or be controlled in workouts. Hit those target paces. Be efficient at those target paces. And resist the temptation to always find the edge and make it harder. Number four, slow down in recovery. Give yourself the space and time and focus to do the things that you do that you need to do that your body needs to stay healthy and to recover from the work that you're doing. And number five, slow down at the beginning of races. If you do that, if you learn control and patience early in races, then you will be able to execute strongly at the end and it will get you to faster times down the road so there you go that's my those are my messages on slowing down how to get your time by taking your time will be the theme of this one all right so we will wrap this episode here thanks as always for listening if you'd like to learn more about us at rogue you can go to roguerunning.com or follow us on twitter instagram or facebook at rogue running until next time We'll talk to you soon.